How are we doing today, Wolf Pack fans? This is Pack Center, your one-stop shop for all things Nevada sports. I am Austin Paschke. To my right is my co-host, like always, Tyler Seth. And we are going to be covering a little bit of a basketball preview today. We're going to be doing men's basketball, women's basketball. We're taking a deep dive into how they're going to do this year, their scheduling, their rosters, etc. And then we're also going to be previewing the Utah State football game that's going to be taking place on Saturday. It's going to be a good episode, guys. Stick with us. And we're back, ready to rumble. The leaves are changing. There's a little crisp Christmas to the air, you know what I mean? Is it Christmas? Crispness. Okay. A little crispness to the air. And you know what that means. It's beginning to look a lot like basketball, basketball season. season. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's looking a lot like basketball season, guys. Men's and women's basketball starting up again. It's getting down to the nitty-gritty. We're entering the season now. Exhibition games are starting for men's basketball this weekend. But before all that, there is the rest of the football season we got to get to. Yeah. We got, uh, we're in the thick of the Mountain West schedule now for football. And Saturday coming up against Utah State is no slouch, that is for sure. Currently, Utah State sits second in the Mountain West Mountain Division behind Boise State. I feel bad for all the schools in the Mountain Division. They just don't have a chance. It's like every year, it's like, okay, who can get second place yeah. behind Boise State? And who's like just going to see Boise in the Mountain West championship game? So I feel bad for the schools in the Mountain um, Division for the Mountain West. But Utah State sitting in second. They're 2-0 in conference. They are 3-2 and overall. They've already had two bye weeks, which is kind of crazy to think about. They have a game every single week up until the end now. They are 2-0 in conference. 3-2 on the year we play them. October 19th, that is tomorrow, Saturday at 8.15 p.m. in Logan, Utah. We are currently 21.5-point underdog. Utah State is 21.5-point favorites. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a line right there. That, I've ever seen one. That is a crazy line to open up the game that's three touchdown favorites. I don't know if that is a compliment to Utah State or just a complete slap in the face to Nevada. Yeah, I think I, I think it's a little bit of both. Right. I think you have to give it credit where credit's due and then kind of look at ourselves in the mirror and say, maybe we are 21-and-a-half-point underdog in this game. It's going to be interesting to watch. We obviously squeaked out that win against San Jose State, who is consecutively or consistently one of the worst teams in the Mountain West. So it will be interesting facing one of the top teams in the Mountain West. They're currently ranked 48th in the uh, Sagarin, Sagarin, whatever rankings. They're currently ranked 48th. We are down there. Let's just say that. They are a very good football team that we are playing Saturday. They're coming off a blowout loss, though. Obviously, I mean, they play, they played LSU. I mean, yeah, they got ran up on LSU. One of the best college football teams in the nation. I think you're sitting at two right now, LSU, in the yes. most recent AP. Yes. So they are obviously one of the best teams in the nation. They got blown out 42-6. to six. Still didn't get blown out as bad as we did. So, I mean, they didn't get blown out by 71 points. So that's a little bit better than what we did. But, I mean, they're, they're coming off a blowout loss. 
and a bye week. So this is kind of facing, it's kind of shaping up to be like kind of like an Oregon like recap. Like, you know what I mean? They, they got blown out the game before, and then they're coming in at home in front of their home crowd. They're going to be fired up. Oh, yeah. They're going to be ready to play. They just came off a of bye week, which means they have an extra week to prepare for us as well. This game's scaring me a little bit. We'll be we'll be able to break down a little bit more, but so far it's not looking good. In the Mountain West, they have beaten San Diego State, who is ranked first in the West Division of the Mountain West, and Colorado State, who is in the Mountain. They are not too bad. They're not the best, though. They're two and five overall. So they've played one very good Mountain West team, one not-so-good Mountain West team. They are ranked 22nd in the country in passing offense. They love to spread the ball around. They love to throw the ball. Speaking of love, see what I did there? Oh, nice. Jordan Love. Heisman Dark Horse entering the season. I don't know if he's lived up to that reputation. I don't know either. I don't even know if he's lived up to Mountain West Offensive Player of the Year reputation that he got in the preseason. I agree. He has not had the best game. He has more turnovers or more interceptions than he does touchdowns this year. I still think we might have a shot at seeing him in the NFL and playing on Sundays. But as of right now, he is not looking so hot at all. They have 289 passing yards per game. They have eight passing touchdowns on the year. They also have eight interceptions. Jordan Love has six touchdowns the backup has two touchdowns but they are a little heavy on the interceptions side their defense is their weaker side of the ball their offense can move at will but their defense is kind of slacking a little bit their defensive line and linebackers though are very very good their secondary just slacks off a little bit san diego state offense has not been very good and utah state allowed them to score 17 points against them so while this is a very good team, this is a team that you can score against. That is for sure. I mean, LSU showed it, scoring 42 points. They're a very disciplined team. They rank 38th in the FBS in fewest penalty yards per game. They only allow around 49 penalty yards per game. So they're a very disciplined team, which doesn't bode well for our team because we need those turnovers. We need those extra penalty yards to maybe squeak this one out. But their offense is very good. Like we said, they rank 22nd in the country in pass offense. They average 289 passing yards per game. They have only given up five sacks in five games. So their offensive line is top-notch. Our defensive line and Dom Peterson and company is going to have their work cut out for us. And I think we'll talk about the the keys to winning the game later. But I think one of them has to be pressuring uh, Jordan Love and getting him kind of uncomfortable in the pocket. They have the same turnover margin as us, though, minus three. So this team doesn't take care of the ball very well, something we can exploit. Their running backs, they do not run the ball very much at all, which is kind of bad news for us. It's kind of like a Hawaii-ish type team. Jalen Warren, 50 rushing attempts on the year, 6.7 yards per rush, four touchdowns, 83 yards per game. And then Gerald Bright, 68 rushing attempts, 4.7 yards per rush, only two TDs on the year, and then he averages 63 yards per game. They don't run the ball very much, which is not good for our defense because we like to go up against running teams. We don't want the ball passed around 
our secondary very much, which is exactly what Jordan Love is going to do on Saturday. He is 120 for 192 pass attempts on the year. He has 1,337 yards on the season, 267 yards per game. Eight INTs, like we said, in five games, only six touchdowns, and he has completed 62% of his passes. So not the Heisman dark horse that we thought we were going to see when the season started, but he's not that bad, and he can rip up our secondary, which it kind of scares me a little bit. If we don't get any pressure, he will be able to sit back in the pocket and kind of pick our secondary apart a little bit. Yeah, I mean, um, in the Monday presser, we heard Austin Arnold talk a lot about confidence. Their secondary playing with more confidence and um, feeling more comfortable as well. Those are the kind of the two words he brought up a lot in that press conference. So, yeah, it's going to be a real tough test for our secondary. I mean, he's, like we said, he's not the Heisman dark horse that we pictured in the beginning of the season, but he's still a good quarterback and probably one of the better quarterbacks in the Mountain West. So it's definitely something that's going to give us a lot of problems. I agree with you. I think Dom Peterson, who's had a couple quiet weeks this uh, this season, uh, in these past couple weeks, uh, needs to really step up, get some pressure on Jordan Love, uh, because he can sling it. And if you get him, if you give him time, he's a good quarterback, and he will find an open receiver, complete passes. I mean, he doesn't really have a favorite target in the receiver spot, which we'll kind of touch on in a minute. But so you know, he can find the open receiver. He's not looking for one guy. He makes his reads and he makes the right play a lot of the time. So the eight ints is also kind of a good sign. You know, that's something you get with a heavy passing team is a dude who's going to throw a lot of interceptions. And it's kind of like the Malik situation with us, you know. If you're going to go sling the ball, you know, your quarterback's going to make a couple tough decisions that maybe don't go his way or, uh, you know, a tip drill that gets intercepted or something like that. So definitely our secondary is going to have their work cut out for them this week. Yeah, Austin Arnold is going to have his work cut out with, cut out for him along with the rest of the secondary. It's going to be a hard game. It's kind of like Josh Love in a sense where he can throw the ball all over the field. He likes to spread out the ball a lot. Seven different receivers with 10 or more catches on the season. COC Mariner looks to be his favorite target. 6'2 wide receiver leads the team in receptions with 24 and receiving yards with 350. Devin Tompkins also looks to be a threat. He is the fossum of the team. He's listed at only 5'7 for Utah State. He has 14 catches for 211 yards on the year. That's 15.1 yards per catch. So their wide receivers, I mean, while they don't have a prolific one, like maybe Cedric Bird or JoJo Ward, but they have a good core that can catch the ball and make defenses hurt in the secondary. I'm a little bit scared of this, how this offense will go against our defense. We've seen it before through Hawaii. We even saw it in the second half of the San Jose State game. Our secondary can really get picked apart, and if we don't step up, it could be a very long game. That 21-and-a-half point, uh, that, that point line might be correct if they, if they actually can move the ball like we've seen them move the ball before and if our secondary can't step up. But on the other side of the ball, they rank 52nd in the country in run defense, allowing 3.1 yards per rush. They only allow 140 yards per game on the ground. David Woodward, though, that is the name to look forward to. At least if you're a Utah State fan, it is the name to kind of hide away from if you are a Pack fan. He was an All-Mountain West player last year. Wouldn't be surprised if he's an All-Mountain West player this year. Probably one of the best linebackers we are going to see 
this season. He has 43 solo tackles, which is 17 more tackles than next leading tackler on the team, which is very, very impressive. That next leading tackler is 26. Woodward has 43. Woodward has 71 total tackles, 4.5 tackles for a loss, two sacks. The best two games, I thought this was very interesting. His best two games were against their best opponents, Wake Forest, who's secretly having a pretty good year. 18 tackles against Wake Forest, which is absolutely incredible. And then, obviously, second-ranked team in the country, LSU. He had 11 tackles, led the team against LSU. I mean, he's just all over the field. He's an animal, and he's very, very good against really good competition, which makes me think that he has that clutch factor. He can just turn it on whenever he wants he is going to be someone that you need to look forward to and kind of watch on the field on Saturday. They're a better run defensive team than passing. They rank 114th in passing defense, giving up 281 yards per game. Only three INTs on the season, so they don't ball hawk as much as other teams we have played, and even our own team. Um, they don't get to the ball very much. So it's going to be interesting to see how our offense stacks up against their defense. I still think Toa needs around 20 touches to be successful, um, for our team to be successful this game. But I also think Malik Henry needs to spread out the ball and really sling the ball around because their secondary isn't the best. And I think if we could take advantage of that, maybe do some play-action passes, run Toa enough to where we keep them honest and then pass it over the top with Malik Henry – I think Malik at least needs to have 200 yards passing, if not way more, because their secondary is a area that we can kind of uh, take advantage of. So I think our offense doesn't stack up nicely, but I think if we can pass the ball successfully on Saturday, it's going to be a good day for us. Yeah, I mean, this defense, like you said, David Woodward, someone you're going to hear in the speakers a lot in Logan, Utah. Um, hear him a lot on the TV screen. I mean, it's gonna. he's a scary linebacker, and I think, like you said, I think he is the best linebacker we're going to face all season. This dude's an absolute stud. He has, like, 35 more total tackles than the next closest dude on uh, Utah State. So, you know, he flies around the field. He's got a great eye for, um, you know, breaking down run defenses or bringing down run offenses and um, kind of plugging those holes that Toa and uh, Devontae Lee are going to try to look for on Saturday. But, yeah, I agree. I think we really need to pass the ball. This team in the secondary, it's their weak spot. And um, obviously our passing offense has improved in the past couple weeks, especially last week with Malik at the helm. So look for a couple deep shots maybe from Malik, and then hopefully he can kind of extend a lot of those plays with his legs as well, get get outside the pocket where he is comfortable. Uh, we seen him do it a lot last week versus uh, San Jose State. So it's going to be a real tough matchup. Um, obviously we like to see Toa with those 20 touches, and I think he does get it, but I think it's going to be like really close to 20, not like anything like 34 like he saw last game. I think it's going to be around – 20 to 25 because we do need to put the ball in the air a lot thinking we're going to be down a lot in this game so passing is definitely going to be a key our receivers need to find ways to get open downfield or just you know find ways to get first downs to keep the ball moving so uh we give jordan love the ball as least as possible one person that has been consistently the best performer on our team and I hope that he doesn't have to see the field much at all come Saturday is Brandon Talton. Hopefully we're not just kicking field goals to eventually get to like nine points and they're just up like 40 to nine. And it's just a horrible, 
horrible game on Saturday. But I hope that he does remain perfect because he was named to ESPN's midseason All-American list. That is a great honor for the freshman kicker. Just truly amazing. I think, like we've been saying, I think he's going to I think he's going to stay perfect, and I think he's going to get the Garza Award, and I think he's going to be the first Mountain West kicker to ever get it. That's going to be a great, great accolade to add to his resume. But keys to the game. I think that PB&J, Devontae Lee, and Toa Tawa need to have a big game. I think we have one of the best, if not the best, goal line running back in the Mountain West in Devontae Lee. So if we can at least get down to the red zone and give Devontae Lee the chance to run it in and let Toa do his thing, I think we'll be successful. And I also think Malik needs to watch the turnovers. We can't have too many interceptions just because I do think, like you said, we're going to be down for at least half or if not more of this game. We're going to have to throw the ball a lot to keep them in check. And then last one, we need to get pressure on Jordan Love. We need to pressure him the entire game, make him feel uncomfortable, because if we do not and we just allow him to sit back in the pocket, it is already too late. I agree. Uh, that last point I was going to bring up as well, we need our D-line to put some pressure, maybe send Sewell, send Lucas Weber, some names we haven't heard a lot this season, uh, like we expect to do preseason, but send them on blitzes early and often. I think another big key is uh, finishing drives. We had a lot of issues with that earlier in the season, and it's been mostly resolved lately. We've done a lot better, and I think in the San Jose State game, Devontae Lee helps Devontae Lee yeah. was credited to a lot of right. those. But I think we really need to finish drives in the red mm-hmm. zone. We can't kick field goals against this team. If we are within the 20-yard line, that is a no-no. We need to score seven as much as possible. And then I agree. I think the turnover margin is going to be the key to this game. I think whoever wins the turnover battle has a very, very good chance of winning this game. If you know our DBs can come up with a couple of picks and then we can Malik can you know hold himself to make a little better decisions this game, I think we have a good chance of winning this game. But if we you know have a lot of fumbles, a lot of interceptions, it's going to be a long, long game for the Pack, and we can't give this offense any more time on the field than you know they deserve. So it's going to be a real tough matchup. It's going to be a lot of keys and a lot of you know points for the pack that we need to hit on on all of them to be able to put us in a position to win the game. 21 and a half points is so disrespectful in my opinion. To give them 21 and a half, three touchdowns favorites, we have to at least cover. There's no way we don't cover. I think if you need a lock bet, if you're a better and you need a lock this week in college football, it is 21 and a half point favorite for Utah State. I mean, we have to cover. There's no way we don't cover. And I think it's going to be a closer game than a lot of people envision. I do think we lose, though. Yes. Utah State's just too good, man. They are they're a very, very high-powered team. And their strengths are our weaknesses, and that's what scares me. If they were a run-heavy team, this would be a completely different topic of discussion. But I think the way that they can throw the ball and the way they spread the ball and just how they are on offense will be too much for our defense to handle. I do think we lose, but I only think we lose by, at most, 10 points. There's no way we don't cover the 21 and See, half I think there is a—I'm like 50-50 on the— on the spread, honestly. I could see Jordan Love just slinging the ball for 350 for like four touchdowns and we lose by a big score. 
but there's a part of me as a pack fan that thinks we can actually really kind of hang with this team for um, a half or three quarters and then kind of make it a close game in the fourth. I do think we lose as well. I think Jordan Love is just too much for this secondary, our young secondary, to handle right now. And I think Malik might be a little rattled by the, the Logan fans in Utah. I think it's a very tough environment to play. You know, those Utah State fans are very loud and very critical. So especially with Malik, it's kind of he lets some of that stuff get into his head sometimes. And uh, like we saw in Last Chance U and, um, you know, other reports, it's he's a very vocal kid and he um, takes a lot of criticism to heart. So it's going to be interesting to see how he performs in this kind of hostile environment in Logan, Utah with Utah State. I do think we lose. I think... Do you have a score prediction? I think... We lose by maybe 17 is what I want to say. I don't really have a specific score because I could see this being just a shootout in a lot of ways. But I think we lose by around 14, 17. It's going to be real tough for our defense to try to keep up with Jordan Love and this environment in Utah State. But uh, hopefully the, we can keep it close. And if, I think if we keep it close through three quarters, I think we definitely have a chance to win this game. But that's going to be the difficult part is keeping it close through three quarters and kind of forcing them to play, you know, good football in the fourth. I think it's going to be a very high-scoring game. I think it's going to be a very, very fun game to watch. If you guys want to stay up late, you guys should definitely watch it. 8.15 kickoff time, which puts the end time, what, like 1 a.m.? <laughs> Just about, yeah. Seems how long these games are going. But I do think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I do think we will cover, but I think we will lose. I think the final score is going to be 41-34. Utah State I think it's going to be a shootout but I don't think we have what it takes to pull it out and I really want to be wrong in this situation because a win against Utah State would be huge for our confidence and just you know everything heading into I believe Wyoming in Wyoming next week so I do think that it will be a very close game I do think we can squeak it out I I honestly do I think that that you know if we have the right turnovers I think it could be like kind of like a Purdue game you know we have the right turnovers. We have the right personnel in. We could we could win this game, but I think we're going to see the loss against Utah State in Logan. I think it's going to be a very good game to watch, though. It's tomorrow, Saturday, 8.15 kickoff time. Make sure you guys tune in and watch and support. But before that, they can do something else. That's home. That's yep. in Reno. That's in our good old Lawler Event Center, baby. Transition to some basketball here. Saturday, men's basketball first their first exhibition game against Cal State East Bay. We are going to see the first look of the Alfred Led era, our first look of our basketball team who was picked fourth to finish in the Mountain West preseason media polls. The players talked about what that means to them and if that means anything at all to them. Coach Alfred talked about that as well. We were able to Sit down informally with the basketball team at a press conference. It was really good to see their opinion of how the team's going and what the season's going to look like. But before I want to touch on some women's basketball, because they are starting up as well, and we did get a chance to sit one-on-one with Amanda Levins as she talks about this team and the expectations leading into the season and her vision of a successful season and, you know, from... A not so good last season. They went 12 and 19 overall, 7 and 11 in the Mountain West. The, her first year, she actually had a winning record and it went a lot better. 
But now she kind of has her players under the helm. Last year, there was a, it was a very, very young team. Two of the seniors kind of led the team. They were very, very good basketball players. And now uh, Teray Briggs is actually playing overseas. Uh, professional ball, I think, in Sweden, Coach Levin said. Mm-hmm. So it was really good to sit down with her and kind of see her expectations for the season. And she also let uh, the fans know a little bit of who we should watch for in the season. So without further ado, listen to this sit-down interview that we had with Coach Levins. It was very, very insightful, and we'll come back later. Coach Levins, thank you so much again for meeting with us, sitting down with us. I know the season's just beginning. We're about 22 days away, but you guys have been busy in the lab, getting to work. Um, How's the team feeling going into the season? Yeah, I think they're really excited. Um, We have a lot of new pieces on our team this year. We have eight new players. And this summer, we were able to take that international trip to Spain. So we had additional practice days, and we already have a little bit of game experience together. And um, obviously, that trip really helped us grow our relationships off the court as well. And so I think they're just excited. And I think they're gaining confidence as practice is going on with just understanding our system offensively and defensively. Um, so I think they're ready. You know, they'd be ready to play tomorrow if we, if we could. Yeah, exactly. Okay, uh, first season you went 19 and 17 as head coach, and then last season 12 and 19, playing some big power five schools though. Uh, what do you guys look to improve on this season, kind of bouncing back? I think just being more consistent, and that starts in practice, and that was kind of our thinking with the way that we recruited as a staff. We were really young last year. Of our 10 scholarship players, five were freshmen, and then we had a transfer, so six of the 10 were new. Um, and going into this season, we would have had eight underclassmen and only one returning upperclassmen. So we recruited four transfers who are upperclassmen. So I think that their experience already playing college basketball will help us be more consistent. And also it just kind of raises the level of everybody in practice. It's really competitive. And so I think if we can be consistent day in, day out, then you're going to be consistent in games and be very competitive. Yeah, Yeah, you guys, you said you have a lot of young players. You have a lot of new transfer players. Um, For the fans that are listening, what uh, what are some names that we should be looking forward to this year? Yeah, you know, it's funny because there's just a lot. Obviously, with the new players, Marguerite Effa is a transfer from USC, and she's 6'3", and just big and strong and athletic, and uh, she just can do some things that you're just – she can play at the rim at at times, and so that's really exciting. And then um, the three junior college transfers that we brought in are all guards. Um, So J.J. Nakai from – Arizona. She shot, you know, over 40% from the three-point line in both years at junior college, and she hit 151 threes, which is a lot. And that was something that we struggled with last year was three-point shooting, and so that was a big reason why we wanted her here. And then Mickey Alla uh, Mayo from Hawaii. She went to Salt Lake Community College. You're going to see her play a lot of point guard for us this year. And again, that was a position we filled by committee last year, and that will free up Essence Booker to play more of like a combo guard, where I feel like she's best, where she can play some point guard but also be a great scorer at the two. Um, and then uh, Nia Alexander is a transfer from USF. So she graduated in three years with a degree, and she's getting her MBA here at Nevada. So you just really respect how well she did academically to yeah, be able yeah. to do that in three years. But she'll play some three, four for us. She's really athletic. She's a great passer, um, and she's one of our best leaders. She's really vocal and has a lot of great positive energy. Um, and then the three freshmen, you know, Dominique Phillips from Arizona and Allie 
Jimenez from Colorado, and then Janae Williams. All of them, I think, will play a big role for us as freshmen. They were all very good high school players, and they've been extremely consistent for freshmen in their class. And um, we've been very pleased with them. And the last person I didn't mention was uh, LaPresia Johnson. She played at Cochise a Junior College in uh, Arizona, and she's an, a very athletic defender, and she's somebody that we wanted to bring in because she loves defense. And so not everybody can be a great scorer, and so her, she's fine with just like, you know, she gets open shots great, but she wants to guard the other team's, you know, best offensive perimeter player. Definitely. And then speaking of the fans of the community, what does it mean to this team to have, um, especially as the community's grown so much mm -hmm. up over the past like three years even, uh, what does it mean for this team to have the community behind them every game? Well, we tell them all in recruiting what an amazing community Northern Nevada is. Everywhere you go, you see Nevada. They know that the girls are on the team. They know like who our coaching staff is. And it's exciting to kind of be a prominent figure in the community and people really care that you do well. And when they come out to Lawler and create that home court advantage for us, I know it gives us energy at times when maybe the energy is low. Um, but just the way that we're supported, we're so appreciative. And I think, you know, as, as we continue to get better as a program, I think our support will continue to grow. And I think people that watch us play will enjoy watching the brand of basketball that we play. You know, our teams, I feel like they're going to play hard. They're going to play for each other. They're going to play as a team. Um, and we just... It, we play fast and we play really aggressive and so it's fun. It's fun yeah. to watch. It's it's a good environment at our games. Definitely. So you talked about the Spain trip already a little mm -hmm. bit, but kind of emphasize more on it. Looks like you guys had a lot of fun doing a lot of different uh, fun activities. So how was that kind of overall for like team morale and um, even practicing and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, the the trip went better than I could have ever anticipated. Um, the, the travel was good, the food was good, the competition was good, um, the touring and the architecture and just seeing Spain like day in day out for eight days was amazing and I think it even surpassed what the girls were expecting in terms of like the international experience so that that was just I yeah I'm so appreciative and thankful that we we're able to take that trip and I know they've made lifelong memories um, from that trip but you know off the court we changed the rooming list every single city so they spent different time with different people we had some time together on the bus um, we did a lot of like fun stuff too and so um, it just allowed a lot of off-the-court time together where they could learn more about each other as people and grow their relationships beyond basketball. And then here in the, su in the summer with the 10 additional practice days, you know, we spent more time together there. We are able or together in practice and able to watch more film. And um, the summer was a little bit longer for them. So just the amount of time together, you know, I think will, will benefit us. Definitely. Definitely. And then in your opinion for like, I know we talk about it a lot on the podcast, like team around and stuff mm -hmm. like that. In your opinion, how important to that is that to a team on the court when they're playing? Oh, everything. You know, I'm a huge believer in a team. Happy people perform better than mm -hmm. unhappy people. Exactly. And teams that have more fun and have more enthusiasm, they just are going to enjoy the experience a lot more. And so for us, we, you know, we're really demanding in terms of how hard they work and the effort and energy that they bring. But at the end of the day, we want them to really enjoy this experience and have a lot of fun. And, and so I think, you know, the team morale is huge and so we've really got I think at this point in our season our preseason we've gotten them to understand that hard, working hard is fun and that's you know part of the process too and like having great deep relationships with your teammates these are people that in five ten years like they're going to be at each other's weddings yeah. and things like that we talk about that like you know you guys are going to have kids someday and you know this person might be their godparent these relationships 
they're making like lasting friends that are going to be with them the rest of their lives. Exactly. And then you guys, you obviously did way more than just sightsee in Spain. You mm -hmm. guys played some really good talent. And yeah. You guys did fairly well against that talent. Yeah. Um, what did it mean to play against you know professional teams over there and get those uh, get the players ready for the season? Yeah. Well, we had some people that you know we were really good individually over there that we had to try to match up with and defend. And um, what we did as a coaching staff is we tried to start different people every game and have different people on the floor at the end of every game. And all of our games were close, so people got great experience in different in different capacities over there so um, that was good I don't I didn't feel like we were a very cohesive team yet in Spain we were still figuring a lot of things out like what should I do in this moment or if you're a better shooter than me maybe I shouldn't shoot this shot so like that was helpful for us to like sift through some roles that need to be established and um, they've helped us now in season because I think it had we not had that trip we would be working this stuff out at the end of November versus working it out in August September Okay, so looking at the season, you guys played back-to-back Pac-12 teams with Utah December 14th and then USC December 20th. What are you guys kind of looking for in those games there to kind of look uh, to get out of the girls, especially early in the season? Yeah, well, for us, I mean, we schedule teams that we feel like we can compete against, you know, in Utah last year and USC. Um, I didn't think we played very well in either of those games, but those are those are games that you want to schedule. And from a recruiting standpoint, like, you, you want people on your schedule that people want to play against. And so for us, I mean, we're going to go in those games prepared and, like, believe that we can win. You know what I mean? And I don't people talk about moral victories are going and being competitive but for us to get where we want to go which is a team that consistently competes for conference championships and plays in the postseason tournament whether that's a WNIT, WBI or NCAA tournament like you need to schedule and beat some of those teams and so for us we want to go show up and you know do our best and see what happens. Definitely. Uh, this year marks the 100th year of women's sports here in Nevada. Mm -hmm. You posted a picture on Twitter of you at the uh, dinner, and mm -hmm. it looked like a lot of fun. But yeah. more like on a serious note, like what does that dinner and that uh, Hall of Fame all-female class mean to yeah. uh, current female athletes here? I just think, number one, from the Nevada administration, it shows that their commitment to women's athletics, which I think is awesome. Um, the second thing, if you looked at the picture at our table, we had so many different decades represented of people that played in Nevada. We had people from like the 60s, 70s, 90s, you know, early 2000s. And so that our table and the stories that they shared was like incredible. All of the different um, experiences that they had here in Reno. Um, and also, I'd love to have those uh, former athletes come back and talk to our players because if you talk to someone who played at Nevada in the 60s or 70s compared to people that play at Nevada today, their experience is very different. And the people that played um, a, a long time ago, are so appreciative of the opportunity to have played. But if they played multiple sports, I've heard stories of they had one uniform for softball and basketball and volleyball. And so, you know, nowadays player, teams have six to eight uniforms. And so I think it's great for our, our players to hear those experiences because it's important that they appreciate what they have. And without those people going through those experiences, we would not be where we are today. Exactly, yeah. Um, you kind of touched on transfer players, but was that kind of a big um, point of emphasis in the off season to bring a lot of transfer players in because we were so young and yes. had a young team. Yes, it was. We wanted some upperclassmen that had played college basketball that could come in and help us. And we wanted players from winning programs. And all of our junior college players played at Nationals last year. Two of them were All-Americans. Like, we wanted players that, un like, really wanted to be the best and also just understood what it took to win. Definitely. So the impact transfers, as we've been talking about, uh, they're paired with a group of, well now sophomores, that they played a lot last year. Yeah. Uh, like 35%, I think, of playing time was well, freshmen last year. Mm -hmm. What did that playing time last year kind of do for their 
confidence and just play, overall playing ability for this year? Yeah, well, I don't know that they always had a lot of success consistently that class. They were in a lot of um, game experiences that I hope will help correlate to wins later. And different different players were at the court on the court at different times. Um, and so I think initially what it did was it created like buy-in, like I this is my team and I want to help Bata. Um, and then we bring the transfers in and they're thinking the same thing. And all of a sudden there's a lot of competition and there's only 200 minutes. And it's like it, it has helped raise the level of everybody around each other, I'll tell you that. So last year you helped develop two all-conference players in uh, Jade Redmond and Trey Briggs. Um, mm -hmm. What did you kind of see from them in practice and games last season uh, that you knew they would kind of be something special? Yeah, they're just both so consistent. I, every day, you know, they show up and they just never had a bad practice, you know. And I think for Tere, she really bought into the strength and conditioning aspect the summer before her senior year. And she actually said one time, I wish I had understood the importance of this sooner. And so we asked those types of players to tell our team that story it's like don't wait do it now you know and Trey just went to Sweden to play professionally which is so awesome and that was a goal of hers and as a coaching staff we're just so proud that we're you know part of her journey to get to that point definitely getting down to the end now you guys have a lot of different training techniques that we've seen on Twitter <laughs> you guys have like flag football and yeah. yoga um, there was pickleball I yeah. think you guys played and yeah. then you guys even went like horseback riding like there's just a lot of yeah. um, different training that you guys have done and um, so what does that all do kind of to the overall team uh, yeah. in general so we try to do what's called fun Friday okay. as much as possible and if we work out in, in practice we do like a lot of fundamentals on Friday we're like we put the fun in fundamentals I don't know if the girls think that's fun or not but <laughs> Um, but we want to give them different experiences that maybe they've never had the opportunity to have. We had several girls that day who were like, I've never been on a horse. And so it's like, you know, we want to give them an education in and of itself and anything that we can provide. And what's amazing about our community is we have so many supporters with different types of talents. And um, we have two of our season ticket holders actually own the equestrian place and they do riding lessons. So people want to help. They want to help educate our players. And um, it's so cool. We went golfing last year. We had players that had never been on a golf course. And so for them, like, maybe they could be really good at golf if they were ever introduced to it. So we want to just give them the opportunity to experience things that they maybe never would have. And then also have fun. And so pickleball, we did a tournament and everybody's so competitive. But I think, you know, when they're done playing, people would, on our team would maybe go play pickleball. So it's pretty cool. And then last question, in your own personal opinion, what does a successful season look like to you? For me, I think it's just getting the most out of our team. And I think, you know, with our team, our goal this year would be to finish in the top five of the Mountain West and have a bye in the first round. And I'm not sure that the program's ever done that since they've been in the Mountain West, I think maybe once. Um, but to me, I just want to get better every year. And I think we have the pieces to do that, but it's a matter of staying healthy, being consistent, and continuing to get better. But I think both years that we've been here so far, we've been really competitive and we've been in a lot of close games. We don't always, hadn't always come out on top and last year, you know, we lost a lot of close games. So I think it's important that we go into conference with a winning record because when you go in with a losing record, it's really tough to overcome that and expect to have a winning record in a conference as good as the Mountain West and then play in a postseason tournament. So um, I think a winning record in the preseason, a top five finish in the Mountain West, and hopefully a postseason tournament at the end of the season would be, you know, I would love to, all of those things to happen. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Thank you so much, Coach, yeah. for me. So that interview was very, very good. Thank you again to Coach Levins for sitting down with us and giving us your time. I know the players... And the team's very, very busy right now as the season's starting to come alive. But what are your expectations as women's basketball team heading into the season? I mean, I think 
this could be a really kind of special year for women's basketball. You know, like we talked about in the interview, there's a lot of freshmen that had playing time last season and played crucial roles for the team last season. So I think with that experience under their belts, you heard um, Amanda Levins talk about a lot of the transfers that we have uh, coming into the program, and that was kind of one of her big keys in this offseason was to kind of pair our younger players, a lot of them are sophomores now, with some older transfers that could really provide other insight from other colleges and um, some of their other stops in their college career. But yeah, it's I think this could be either a really good season for Nevada women's basketball or it could be kind of a mediocre season. I really don't see them having a very poor season. I think kind of their floor would be maybe a couple games under 500 when it's all said and done. And I think their ceiling, they could easily compete for uh, one of those buys in the Mountain West tournament like Coach Levins was talking about in the interview. So it could be really a good season. I'm really actually looking forward to the season of women's basketball after sitting down and kind of seeing Amanda Levins and kind of the spark in her eye when she talks about this team. It's really something special that they have going on, and I think that confidence could really translate on the court. Yeah, I think we're going to have two very, very good basketball programs this year. There's no way that they take a step back and win less than 12 games. I agree with you that the floor should be set around 500. This team has a lot of expectations because, like you said, we have freshman production that played last year in uh, Emma, Emma Tober and Essence Booker and just a lot of younger players that kind of stepped up last year. And now they have a year under their belt and is now looking to be the leaders of this team. And we also have some older transfers that are coming in, uh, one from USC, a couple from some community colleges that are going to be able to immediately impact this team. So we don't have a lot of situations where there's people sitting. There's just people that are coming in and they're going to be uh, immediately eligible and ready to play the game of basketball. And I think this team is going to be very, very good to watch. And I think it's going to be a fun team to watch. I think they're going to be, I think they're going to probably finish top five of the league. I think they're, I think they're a top three team. Personally, in my opinion, I think they can finish top three. But the games that they're playing is not as hard as they were last year. I think they had five Power 5 games last year or four Power 5 games last year. Now we only have two. Play Utah and USC, two Pac-12 teams back-to-back. Are those the games you're most excited for, or what what games are you you looking at? Yeah, I mean, uh, looking up and down the schedule like we did right before we started recording, I think those are obviously the two games that stick out away at Utah and away at USC, back-to-back games. I think... That little stretch is going to show us more about the team than any other tournament or anything we play in preseason. I think the USC's game for me is going to be the biggest. We do have a grad transfer from USC, so her going back to USC is going to be kind of something cool to watch, um, see how she plays in her old uh, home court. But, yeah, I think USC is going to be the number one game to watch for me, at least for the preseason of women's basketball. And I think there's also a lot of Mountain West games that will mean more and more as kind of the season goes along. But right now for me, that USC game just sticks out and it'll kind of show us a lot what this team is made of and what they're trying to be in their identity this season. Yeah, that USC game is going to be very, very fun to watch just because obviously the USC transfer, uh, Marguerite Effa is coming to play with us. She's a grad transfer from USC. So going back, she's playing her old team. That'll be fun to watch. But this Utah game, the game before that, December 14th, is really interesting to me because we played them three. This is going on the fourth year. Three years mm-hmm. now, going on the fourth year. We've lost all three years. So I'm interested to see how this team stacks up against this Utah team that maybe we can get our first dub. Maybe we can get our first win against them in four years. 
that is the game that I'm most excited to watch. And then Mountain West play opens up against Colorado State, but we have Boise State, who has been the best women's basketball team consistently in the past couple years for the Mountain West, and we have them our second game of the Mountain West. So that will be interesting to watch as well. I hope you guys enjoyed the Coach Levin's interview. Player for me to watch would be Deja Hamilton. She played in all 31 games during her freshman season, making eight starts. She started five games in a row to end the season, which is interesting to me looking at uh, Amanda Levins maybe wanting to give her more experience as the season was kind of dwindling down. Maybe she knew that we weren't going to be as successful in the past or in those end games. Put her in there. Give her some experience. I think we'll pay off in the end. She scored 156 points on the year, averaged five points per game last year. She scored double figures three times in the season, including a season-best 12 points against Texas Tech. So I think Deja is going to be a very, very good player this year, a name to watch. She's probably going to be carrying a little bit of the scoring load along with Essence Booker, who played a lot last year, probably be the starting point guard this season. She's leading all returners with 50 assists. She had that during her freshman season. She played in 30 of 31 games during her freshman season and made 12 starts, scored 168 points in her first season to average 5.6 points per game, and she is a prolific scorer. She scored in double figures seven times last season, including a season-high 13 at the Little Brothers down south. Essence Booker, a name to watch if you're a Pac fan following this women's basketball team going into the season. Marguerite Effa, as we said, is a grad transfer from USC. She only played a lot her freshman year. So what, four, three years ago now, she averaged, I think, like two points a game, two rebounds, something like that. But now she's coming here as a grad transfer. And even though she didn't have the best stats, she has the talent to play in the Pac-12. So, I mean, a Pac-12 player coming to the Mountain West and playing for our team is always good to see, especially because she is a grad transfer. She has so much knowledge and experience under her belt that she'll be able to help out the younger players and really kind of give this team the leadership role that it needs. And then last but not least, at least on our list of players to watch, is Emma Tolbert, who had a great year last year. She played in 30 of 31 games during her freshman season and made one start in the win against Hawaii. She averaged 15.7 minutes per game, played a season-high 29 minutes in the overtime win against Hawaii, scored 166 points on the year to average 5.5 points per game, Look for that number to go up definitely this season. She scored in double figures five times, including a season-best 15 points in the Mountain West Tournament win over San Jose State. She hit three consecutive threes in that game. She also posted two double-doubles in the season, her first coming in the win over Hawaii, where she scored 13 points and added 11 rebounds. She can straight-out ball. She didn't even start, and she had those numbers. Yeah. So she is going to be a very, very good player for this team. I think with everyone coming, I, I truly don't see this team dipping much at all. I think it's going to be a fun, fun season to watch for women's basketball. We'll be able to keep you guys updated. Their first look of action, their first time you guys will be able to see this women's team in action, is October 30th, which is a Wednesday, versus William Jessup. In Lawler Event Center, that is their one and only exhibition game before their season opener, Tuesday, November 5th versus St. Mary's, again in Lawler. We have three straight games in Lawler 
to open up the season, two regular season, that first exhibition as well. It's going to be a fun team to watch, and I think everyone should keep their attention locked on women's and men's basketball this season. Men's basketball, like we said, we were able to sit down, not only us, but the rest of the media as well, be able to sit everyone down else. sit down with the basketball team and kind of ask their questions and their their insight on how the season is going to go. Last year, as we know, the most hype this side of the uh, Mississippi. I think probably the best talent this side of the Mississippi as well. But that went all to a screeching halt in the first week of the tournament. I don't want to bring up too much PTSD for Wolfpack basketball fans, but it was uh, probably one of the most disappointing years to be a basketball fan. Yeah, probably one of – I wouldn't say disappointing in how the season went. I'd say disappointing in how – kind of it ended yeah um because we did have a 29 and 5 record 15 right. and 3 in conference very good regular season um and then losing in the first round of the tourney to florida a team that is very high ranked this year yeah. so that's kind of a good sign if there is any good to take out of that right. situation but yeah definitely the most hype a team has had and we talked about that a lot last year on the podcast just you know how hype this team is can they live up to these expectations for the most part they did and then just really a disappointing end of the season. But, yeah, a little less hype this year. Um, Definitely. But I think we're still going to have a solid team. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I think people are looking at our squad as obviously not as good as last year, but I think they're kind of sleeping on us a little bit. Uh, ranked f- or picked fourth to finish uh, the preseason media. Mountain West uh, media picked us fourth. To finish the season, I don't think we're going to finish fourth. I think we're going to finish a little bit higher than that. But they are sleeping a little bit due to the inexperience that we have. We returned 15% of the minutes from last year, which is the fourth lowest in all of D1. All of those minutes obviously coming from Jazz Johnson and Nisre, who pretty much barely played last year, who I think will have a huge season this year. Uh, Lindsey is finally back and healthy. Lindsey Drew, our point god, is finally back. He's had hip surgery, Achilles surgery, averaged over 30 minutes before that injury last, not last season, two seasons ago. He's he's almost been out for, I think, 18, 20 months or something yeah, like that. Yeah, getting he, up there. He's been out for a very, very long time, finally getting healthy. As you heard in the press conference, um, Lindsey is pretty much 100% back. He came back 100% to do contact the end of July, early August of this year. So finally being able to come back out on the court, which is good. Eli Bodiger from Mountain West Wire, our good friends over there. They picked Jalen and KJ as the newcomer of the year for Jalen Harris and freshman of the year for KJ Himes. Good awards there, but Mountain West Media picked KJ Himes as the freshman preseason freshman player of the year. That is a great honor. KJ's kind of... I mean, kind of went under the radar a little bit just because, obviously, he redshirted last year. Pack fans have yet to see what he could do. But he is a three-star recruit coming out of Arizona. He's very, very good. He has very good post moves, I have heard. Can't wait to see him in action on Saturday. What are your expectations for this team going into the year? What should be a successful season? What should be a failure? Um, For this team, it's tough for me. Like you said, I think we are being snubbed in some ways just because of our inexperience and a lot of these guys haven't seen um, a court against different opponents we heard Jalen Harris talk about that in the press conference as well finally getting to play someone else besides his own teammates um, is something he's been kind of itching to do and looking forward to 
So it's going to be – it's tough for us as um, fans and uh, other media to kind of, you know, break down this team and really what their expectations are and where they're going to finish because there's a lot of uncharted talent. I mean, we heard rumors that Jamelin Harris was the best player on the court last year during yeah. practice from a couple different people. Um, so I think the floor for this team, the absolute floor would be, you know, having a good preseason, I'd say, like a couple games over 500, and then kind of going south in Mountain West, maybe winning 500% of the games in Mountain West, maybe a little less. And I think the ceiling easily could be a number two seed at the all, when it's all said and done at the end of the year yeah. in the Mountain West. Utah State's going to be a tough team to beat. I mean, you look at the preseason honors and they have the player of the year, the defensive player of the year, the coach of the year, and a lot of uh, the reporters' eyes. And I... 100% agree with that, but it's going to be tough for the pack to, you know, kind of take over the number one spot from them. So I think the ceiling definitely is a, is a two seed in the Mountain West tournament and then maybe some sort of postseason tournament, whether it's NIT or NCAA. I personally don't see us getting to the the big dance this year. I could see us easily playing in like an NIT, but anything lower than that, I don't think that we play in. Um, so NIT is something I'm hoping for, for kind of a postseason tournament. But I mean, this team is good i mean if you look at the up and down of the roster we have a lot of talent on this team and something that could easily go easily very north and then um the team could also really not click and we see a lot of struggles but you know it's going to be interesting to watch i'm a little skeptical as of now um i think the exhibition is going to tell us a lot about this team though yeah the preseason accolades mean something but they don't mean that much i want to take you guys back a year ago when we had the reigning Mountain West Coach of the Year, we had the reigning Mountain West Player of the Year coming back. We had three of our stars. We had the Martin Twins. We had Jordan Caroline. We were unanimously almost picked to finish first in the Mountain West. And then look what happened. So, I mean, while preseason does mean something, it doesn't mean that much because anything can happen during this season. Utah State could just completely flounder somehow and do very bad. This is what Coach Alford had his opinion on the preseason awards and if it really meant anything. How much stock do you put into that preseason poll and preseason accolades? Do you put a lot of energy toward that at all? Not really. Uh, you know, obviously, I, I, when we have a player that gets honored that way, it's great. But again, it's preseason. It's really not an honor. It, you know, it's it postseasons when the honors come out. So, uh, but it does. In KJ's standpoint, I, I told him, I said. Whoever voted, whoever did that voting has confidence in you. So you need to have confidence in yourself that you're not the typical freshman. Um, and let's build on that and, and know that, you know, because I think when you haven't played, there's always a little bit of self-doubt, you know, regardless of how confident you are about yourself, there's some self-doubt. So when the outside gives you a vote of confidence, you know, like we've been trying to do from a coaching standpoint, that I think that just solidifies I got a chance to do something here. Let's let's make sure I'm doing everything I can, whether that's more film, whether that's getting in the weight room more, whether that's getting to the gym early and working on my game, whether that's practicing harder, whatever that may be, I think that always helps. So like Coach Alfred saying, I mean, there's, there's really not much to take credit in. Preseason awards don't really mean, what, mean much anyways. But like you said, looking at this roster, it is very interesting to look at because we have so much talent, but they're all so new. At least with my starting five, this is what I have predicted, and it will be interesting to see what the starting five looks like at the exhibition game. Uh, at point guard, I have Lindsey Drew. Obviously, point guard, he'll be able to distribute the ball. 
In the press conference, though, he did say he has to up his scoring a little bit. He has to not pass on open shots. He understands that the role now has changed a little bit for him. While he still is going to get those 8 to 10 assists a night, he's going to still have to score a little bit more as well. Shooting guard, Jazz Johnson, I think he's going to carry the bulk of the load of scoring along with, in my opinion, the starting small forward, Jalen Harris. That is a pretty small backcourt, but I still think it's going to be very efficient and score a lot of points. My power forward now, this is where it gets a little tricky. We can go small ball with Eric Parrish. The, he played at Akron, and then he played at uh, Bozier, I think, Community College, ranked fourth JUCO prospect this year. So while it, if we wanted to go small, Eric Parrish can prolifically score the ball. Um, I just don't know if he'll be able to really cover that point or that uh, power forward position. Robbie Robinson, I do have him starting at power forward. I think he's 6'8". He has the size to run the four. And he is a San Diego City College, I believe, transfer. He'll be immediately eligible. I think he's going to have a great year for us. So I have him starting the power forward position. And then I have the preseason Mountain West freshman player of the year, KJ Himes, rounding out that starting five. How does that starting five looking for you? And uh, do you have any changes? No, I'm I'm with you on all of these. I think I think I agree with you with Eric Parrish. It's kind of small to have him playing the four. I think especially with our smaller front court, we do need a bigger backcourt. Right. Um, so I think Roby Robertson is our starting four come Saturday. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of lineup we roll out on Saturday. Do we go with kind of projected starters, or do we give some of these new guys some more minutes and let them see the floor more often? I think that's going to be something to kind of keep an eye out for Saturday. But I do agree with you. I think, you know, this depth chart we kind of have here is pretty accurate. You know, we have Kay Milling um, and Gabe Buseno, yeah, um, backing up Lindsey, and then Nizre Zuzwas, who I think is kind of a sleeper this year yeah. for a lot of people, kind of looking over him. And then, yeah, Eric Parrish and Jalen Harris, that is a nasty small forward combo. I think that's yep. where the bulk of our scoring is going to come from those two uh, mm-hmm. playing the three, definitely. Yeah, and then we have Zane Meeks backing up Robbie Robinson at the power forward position. We got him on the air over the offseason. He is a graduate of Brewster Academy who has produced some of the some NBA stars. They're a pretty big prep school. And then... Backing up at the center position, we have John Carlos Reyes, who is a grad transfer from Boston College, so definitely has experience going against top talent, and it'll be great to see him kind of contribute and maybe guide K.J. Himes in a little bit, give us a little bit of experience at the center position. And then last, we have a local walk-on from Zachary Williams. He'll be able to uh, back up both K.J. and John Carlos at that center-slash-power-forward position. Sitting out due to transfer rules is Desmond Cambridge, who is the reigning freshman player of the year in that Ivy League for Brown. He is dirty. He's very, very, very good, Desmond Cambridge. And then Warren Washington, a big man from Oregon State. They both have to sit out due to transfer rule, but it will be fun to see them play next season. And then Kristen Corsalt. He is a transfer from Pasadena City College. He would be immediately eligible, but he tore his ACL, and he is out, and he's just rehabbing that. So we have three players sitting out this year, two due to transfer rules, one due to injury. This is what Coach Alford will be looking forward to in those two exhibition games. Well, I hope what we learn is that that's four or five days from now. So we had an inter-squad last weekend, so before that we had a 20-minute game the week before that. 
So we saw growth from the 20 minute game to the 40 minute inner squad game that we had. We've seen growth. Now, will we see growth playing somebody else? Uh, and then just having people in the stands because really practice, it's an empty gym. So I want to see how they react to, do they change? Do they, can they still concentrate? Can they still do the things that we want them to do offensively and defensively without, oh, there's people in the stands, now I gotta go, I gotta go rogue and do my own thing. Um, so uh, we want to see how guys are gonna are gonna act and interact with each other when it's it looks like a game atmosphere with people in stands and officials and those type of things. So I think this year for men's basketball, I think the floor should be around a little above 500, maybe around 500. You're looking at the this uh, schedule. Uh, Utah is a middle of the pack Pac-12 team. UT Arlington returns everyone. Loyola Marymount returns the bulk of a 22-win squad. USC adds five-star players to their team last year. The USC is going to be probably one of the best teams we face all year. Davidson, meanwhile, should be among the favorites to win the Atlantic 10. They might be getting some uh, preseason top 25 votes as well. Mm -hmm. So Davidson's going to be really good. And then in the Paradise Jam, if we win two games and Cincinnati wins two games, that very well could be one of the best teams we see in the in the non-conference as well. So we have a very, very tough non-conference looking at the team we have. And then obviously our conference is no slouch as well. So I think the floor should be around five, uh, 500, kind of not the best that we've seen. But this season I think is going to be a slight rebuild, obviously, getting Alfred's first year, his kind of tactics, his style of basketball into the game. But I think our ceiling should be, like you said, the second seed or even the first seed in the Mountain West Conference um, Tournament just because of how Utah State could flounder just a little bit. I think we could, we do have a chance going to the NCAA Tournament, but it would be hard and that would be the best case scenario for our team. But ultimately, a lot of players' roles are going to be changing. A lot of younger guys are going to have to step up and kind of lead the team. Jazz Johnson, Lindsey Drew, Nisray are going to have to carry the bulk of the leadership on the team. This is what Coach Alford said about players' roles changing. Yeah, I think roles just change. So now how you handle those roles, Jazz being a guy that you know might have been the second, third, fourth option at times, even though he's a prolific scorer a year ago, and now he's got to be one of our main options. And, and his leadership, he didn't have to, maybe he wasn't asked to do as much leadership. I wasn't here but they had a very old team last year. So this year we have a very inexperienced team. So I need his leadership to, to expand. Uh, Jalen sitting out last year, you know, he, he started a career somewhere and now La Tech and now you come here, it's different. It, it's just, a, it's a different way of going about things. And the Mountain West is a much, much better league. And so now we, when you've set out and you're a junior, it's not about a freshman. It's about, you got to land now knowing that it's your turn and your role is already at a high level. You know, we're gonna need him defensively because I think he can be an elite defender. We're gonna need him scoring as well and creating for others because he's a very good downhill driver. He can create for others because he's got a very good basketball IQ. Um, but it's still different. When you sit out, it's, you know, you gotta learn to play through fatigue. You gotta learn through playing through mistakes, playing through getting bumped or nicked, or you know, it's a different deal going from practice to gameplay. It's like the guy that gets hurt and all he does is get on a stationary bike. The stationary bike may help you, but it's not running between the 90-50. It's not the same. So until you get out there and run between the 90-50, 
uh, it's a little bit different. And so Jalen's role is going to expand. JC's coming from L uh, ACC. Now he's got a different role now than what he had at Boston College. And so him learning that and jumping into that role as quickly as he can. So we're going to need those older guys to one have very good years for us statistically and, pro and produce for us. But we need their leadership too because they've been they've been through road trips before. They understand those type of things. Even though it's a new staff and we may do things differently, they've at least experienced that. So you could see how some players are going to have to carry the load and other players are going to just kind of stay within their own. I think men's basketball is going to be a very, very fun team to watch. I'm excited to see them on their exhibition game because last year we played an exhibition game in Virginia Street Gym against San Francisco. We were down one at halftime, and it seemed like the offense couldn't really get it going. And everyone's sentiment was, obviously, because this is their first game and this is an exhibition game. But you kind of saw a repeat that in their very last game against Florida where their offense kind of floundered. So I think these exhibition games, while they might not mean a lot, can really give insight on how this team's going to do later on down the road. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, to a team like San Francisco, we thought we were going to slaughter them. It wouldn't be a game. And we really kind of saw offense sputter. And we saw it a lot more than just the Florida games as well. You know, there was a lot of times we really had to rely on some of our better defenders, Jordan Caroline, Cody Martin last year, to kind of step up and, you know, play good defense while, you know, Caleb was kind of in a slump for a middle part of that season. Um, and then you couldn't get Jordan really going. So it was kind of our offense was coming from different places. Didn't really have a super consistent score while we did have, you know, the people we knew we could rely on. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot more to take from this Saturday's game than a lot of people think. And I think we should watch it with really close eyes just because it is Coach Alford's first game. We're going to kind of see how he wants to run the offense. You know, we saw at his time at UCLA, played a lot through his big men. You know, that was kind of his thing at UCLA. Does he change that philosophy um, with some of our good point guards and small forwards that we have? Or does he keep feeding K.J. Himes, Robbie Robertson, um, a lot of those guys, and really forcing the ball down low? It's going to be a lot different look. We're going to play a lot slower than a lot of people yep. think. Um, we might actually be able to have some offensive plays called too, Yeah, which is we, fun to watch. That'd be something we haven't seen in how many years. Yeah, maybe a coach will call a timeout once in a while. I mean, this is a brand-new basketball team. I mean, it's going to be interesting. But, yeah, I think this first game is going to show us a lot, like you said. I think it's something that we, you know, don't criticize too harshly the outcome, but it's something we kind of put in the back of our minds for the rest of the season. It's something we can kind of reference to if we're not doing so hot in the middle of our um, preseason schedule or in conference. It's something we could kind of draw back to and say, well, you know, this was happening. Are we really fixing things in practice? What are we doing here? But I think we are under good hands in Coach Alford, and I think that this team does have a pretty big ceiling. Yeah, like you guys just heard, Coach Alford has a lot of expectations going into this exhibition game, one of which is just to get the team to do, like, pregame warm-ups. And, like, a lot, like he said in the interview, he said some of these players have not been up through a pregame warm-up yet. Some of these players haven't had, like, the pregame meals. Like, they just haven't gone through the motions of game day. So... One of his things that he, the reason he scheduled two exhibition games is because he want he doesn't want their first action to be against Utah, against a Pac-12 team just going for it. You know what I mean? They want those two exhibition games to kind of settle down. How are we going to play in front of a crowd? How is game day going to go? How, I mean, they don't 
imagine stepping out on the court, Utah State's their first action, and they don't know how to do layup lines. You know what yeah. I mean? They need to at least get those kinks out and to start working and to really kind of work on what they need to work on going into the season. But Jalen Harris, I think, is going to be a very, he very special player. to play. I mean, during the press conference, he almost couldn't even form the sentence because he's just so excited to play this game. I I mean, is Jalen Harris going to be the best player on our team? I think right now, yes. I mean, the stuff we – the clips, I mean, we saw Twitter videos of him throwing out some crazy dunks, but other than that – It seems like his head is, like, above the rim. Yeah, like, he's, he's got hops. Yeah. I mean, you can't deny jump that. Jump out of the gym. But I think he is going to have to kind of lead this team in scoring. Um, he's going to kind of be our go-to guy. I feel like he'll kind of be like a Marcus Marshall um, yeah. a couple seasons ago where if we need kind of a big bucket, we're going to go to Jalen, and yeah. he will deliver. I mean, like we've heard, like we said before on the podcast, obviously sometimes was referred to as the best player on the court during practices last year, and last year we had three NBA talent yep. you know, guys and Cody, Caleb, and Jordan. So it's going to be really special to watch him play against other competition. He is hungry. He's a competitor. I mean, you could tell from that clip, he just wants to play someone else. He wants to get down and play hard against yep. someone else besides his own team. And I think once he gets that opportunity, he's really going to shine. And I think um, I kind of touched on it earlier, but a sleeper, kind of a key piece that a lot of people aren't looking at is Nizrezu as well. Yeah. I think last season a lot of people were dis- disappointed with his play when he would get very limited minutes. Um, he made a couple threes, one or two in the season last year. But I think he's going to really have to step up if we want this team to succeed when our starters aren't in. Because scoring when um, we kind of have our twos in is going to be, you know, kind of here and there. I think there's not one person you look at on the bench besides Nisre that we can say, oh, is going to kind of take over and, you know, hold us our lead while our starters get some rest or, you know, kind of attack the other opponent's lead. It's going to have to be Nisre, and I think he's really going to have a breakout season. Um if we want to kind of reach our ceiling, I think he's going to have to play to his max potential like we saw um, through his Brown highlights and stuff like that when he played at Brown. At uh, Bryant, yeah. Bryant, yes. Yeah, definitely. And at Bryant, he was averaging, like, I think over 20 points a yeah. game. He was a prolific scorer. The thing that made me upset about Nizre last year isn't the way he played, but it was more about how Musselman managed that entire situation. He he knew he had a, uh impact transfer in Nizre, but yet when he would miss a three – or play, it seemed like the entire time he was looking over his shoulder, it seemed like he knew that he was on one of the shortest leashes on the entire team. And it just seemed like he was not comfortable playing from us. And there's a reason that he entered the transfer portal and then came back. There isn't a reason that he wants to play for Alfred, and I think Alfred's going to give him that room to grow and that leadership to make him have a re- uh, maybe not a repeat season of 20 points a game, but to be able to come off the bench at a shooting guard position and give valuable minutes and valuable points I think is cr- really crucial. And for a shooter like Nizre, it's when you're looking over your shoulder like that, it's not good Very, for your confidence. Exactly. There's mm-hmm. no way he can get anything going if he's constantly worried about missing shots. You know, We saw him multiple times last year uh, pass up wide open threes yep. because he just didn't look confident in himself out there. And I think that is credit to what you're saying about how he was kind of used in our team last year, granted our team last year had a lot of talent and um, Musselman could kind of afford to put him on a short leash, but at the same time, it destroyed his confidence and we saw that in his play last year. So I do think 
you know, with this new system with Alfred, I think he could really shine. Yeah, I think if Mus was back, he probably would have transferred. He probably would have said uh, yeah. he would probably would have bounced. Yeah. I mean, there's no way. He, I mean, it just didn't look like a good connection between him and Mus. It looked very, very unnatural, and uh, yeah, it just looked like he was looking over his shoulder the entire time he played. Coach Alfred obviously brings a plethora of experience. Six seasons with New Mexico, four Mountain West titles, and three NCAA tourney appearances for New Mexico when he was in the Mountain West. Has great experiences here in the Mountain West. That game at the pit this year in New Mexico is going to be crazy. Him coming back to that school, uh, I think it should be mostly cheers. Uh, Him coming back, maybe a standing O. Uh, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he gave the, that school very, very good basketball years. I don't think that there should be a pl- uh, person in attendance that boos him because he left to UCLA. I mean, anyone in their right mind would leave their school to go coach basketball for UCLA. But I'm glad he's back with us, and he has a lot of experience and winning mentality in the Mountain West. All in all, an interesting year for men's basketball. This is the beginning of the Alfred era, one that should, if everything plays by paper, last 10 years. 10 years guaranteed money is what we gave Coach Alfred for coming here. This is just the beginning of a very long tenure and a long process that Pac fans are going to be able to watch from this basketball team. I think it's going to be a better year than a lot of people think. I think we're going to surprise a lot of people. I can see us going to the first round of the NCAA tournament it will be a long shot but I think we can do it I'm excited to see what they can do on Saturday do you have any uh, last thoughts regarding this basketball team that we're going to see on Saturday Uh, like I said before I'm a little skeptical just because it is a lot of unproven talent you have Lindsay coming off an injury will he be actually 100% or will he kind of nurse it through the first couple games of the season Um, a lot of players that have a lot of talent we just got to see him perform but I think we could do it i Really actually hopeful as a Pac fan, even though I am skeptical, there's a bigger side of me that thinks we will succeed than fail. Like you said, under Alfred, the dude knows how to coach. There's no yep. question about that. He had over 600 or uh, a .667, I think, winning percentage at UCLA. He was 7-6 and six when he got fired. Obviously, UCLA is a different kind of environment than what we have in Definitely. Nevada. If you go 500 to UCLA, it's like a horrible it's season. It's like failure. the worst season yeah. ever. It's failure for a lot of those UCLA fans. But I think Pac fans are welcoming him with open arms. Definitely. During We were talking about this off the air during his press conference last, when was that, last summer? When he first got here? Yeah. This summer. This summer. Yeah. During his press conference this summer, there was a huge turnout. You know, the Pac nation seems to be really behind him. And I think we're all just really excited to kind of see what this team can do and really let it loose on the court and max out their full potential it's ultimately a statement from doug newth and company and saying that we are going to buy all in on this basketball program they've raised season tickets for the fourth year in a row they've hired this guy that has so much success in the mountain west and so much success in coaching in general even at ucla to coach at that level means a lot I just am excited to see the start of the season and, you know, to see their improvements over the summer. This is what Coach Alfred said on what he specifically saw over summer. Yeah, I know summer's been great. The guys have been great. You know, you're going to go through growing pains and those type of things. And, you know, we'll continue to have adversity. You know, we haven't played a game yet, so there's going to be adversity. And we've talked about that as a team, that we got a lot of inexperience. So how we handle that adversity 
in-game and then game-to-game -game is really going to dictate what kind of success we have. First, we have to figure it out in-game, and then whether it's been good or bad, can we move on to the next game? Because really in basketball, you're going to have, until we get to the after a Paradise Jam, we get a break. Uh, but up until when we start November 5th through Paradise Jam, you're playing a lot of games in a few amount of time. So can you get from play to play? Can you get from game to game? Whether it's been good or bad, some guys struggle with success. And now they show up the next game and they're not near what they were in a game before. Some guys can't handle diversity. And so we've got to figure out what those guys are, who we can trust, and then the guys got to build that trust within the team. And But it's been really good so far. And now I think guys are getting, they're getting excited to play somebody else. That's why Saturday I'm anxious to play because now they're banging against somebody else instead of blue silver all the time. And that's always fun when you start playing exhibition games. You know you're getting close to the start of the season. So out of all that over summer and then the off-season workouts, they're finally itching to play a team that is not their own, and they will get that chance on Saturday, tomorrow at Lawler, I think 5 p.m. Yes. against Cal State East Bay. It is, I think, only 5 or $10 to get in. If you're a student, it's free. There should be no reason you're not there. Football is out of town, and it starts way later. So get there, watch the basketball team, whoop Cal State East Bay, and then you'll be able to watch the Nevada football team whoop on Utah State, hopefully. Hopefully. Any last thoughts wrapping up the episode? You know, let's play hard at Utah State. Let's go take care of business at Lawler and then turn on our TVs and cheer on the pack in Logan. Um, women's and men's basketball, super excited. I think it's going to be a successful season for both. And hopefully we can, you know, make it a, a duo win on Saturday, beating yep. uh, Cal State East Bay and then taking it to the Utah State Aggies. Monday will be a fun episode. We'll be able to recap all the sports, all the quote-unquote lesser sports that we didn't cover today. We'll be able to cover that on Monday. We'll be able to cover the exhibition game on Monday and see what we kind of actually saw from this new basketball team. And then we'll be able to recap the Utah State game in Logan that football will be playing on Saturday as well. It's going to be a great episode on Monday, and we'll be able to announce Pack Player of the Week, which is always good. Maybe one of the basketball players will be in it. Maybe one of the football players. We will see. I know women's golf did very good. We'll be able to recap that on Monday, so maybe one of the women's golf players as well. But all in all, a great week to be a Pack fan. We'll be able to recap everything on Monday. Thank you so much for giving us your guys' time, and let's go Pack. Pack.